Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Seabrow, and welcome to the definitive rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. The definitive rap is proud to be the official podcast of vinnews.com. Today, we have a very special guest, Mrs. Hadassah Lieberman. Yes, that Hadassah Lieberman, the one who thousands of delegates were chanting for at the 2000 Democratic Convention. Before Bela gives Mrs. Lieberman a proper and formal introduction, I wanted to add a few of my own comments about her new book, Hadassah, an American Memoir. Hadassah opens by dedicating her book in memory of her grandparents and other relatives who perished in the Holocaust. In her first two chapters, she writes about her parents surviving the Nazi camps, her father from a labor camp and her mother from Auschwitz. Hadassah then takes us to her coming to America as a little girl, an immigrant who fell in love with this country and everything America has to offer. Hadassah writes in great detail about the importance of family, especially about respect for her parents. She opens herself up to her readers about her first marriage, going through the challenges of a divorce as a single parent and working mom before being introduced to Joe Lieberman. And when you finish reading her book, you will understand why Joe Lieberman is always smiling. Hadassah is a true Aishas Chayil, a woman of valor. And while she calls this book her memoir, I call it a book about faith, values, gratitude, family, selflessness, and loyalty. One of my favorite lines from the book is when Hadassah writes of her good friend Edie, who wanted to introduce her to Joe. And here's what her sales pitch was. He's a politician, but he seems like a good guy. Bela? <laughs> Thank you, Alan. To quote our esteemed guest in the very beginning of her book, our pasts are not static, something that can be tucked away in a drawer like loose snapshots. That's a statement that validates any victim or person who has experienced trauma or unpleasantness in life. Our pasts are what prepare us for the future and must never become insignificant. Our pasts must be passed on from generation to generation for its rich history of of family lineage and heritage. And we will hear all about this today from our esteemed guest. In 1949, Hadassah Lieberman and her family emigrated from the Czech Republic to the United States. She went on to earn a BA from Boston University in government and dramatics and an MA in international relations and American government from Northeastern University. She built a career devoted largely to public health that has included positions at Lehman Brothers, Pfizer, and the National Research Council. After her first marriage ended in divorce, she married Joe Lieberman, as Alan just said, a U.S. senator from Connecticut who was the Democratic nominee for vice president with Al Gore and would go on to run for president. In Hadassah, Lieberman shares the story 
of her extraordinary life from her family's experience in Eastern Europe to their move to Gardner, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, forging her career, experiencing divorce and following her remarriage. Her life on the national political and her life, of course, on the national political stage, as we've all come to know and love her. By offering insight into her identity as an immigrant, an American Jew, and a working mother, Lieberman's memoir speaks to many of the major issues of our time, from immigration to anti-Semitism to gender politics. With an introduction by Joe Lieberman and an afterword by Megan McCain, this is a true American story. Hadassah Lieberman has had a rewarding career dedicated to healthcare issues, assisting nonprofit organizations, improving educational standards, and promoting international understanding with a particular focus on global women's health. Hadassah, an American story, which Brandeis University Press will publish on April 14th, has received much praise. Mrs. Lieberman, welcome to the Definitive Wrap. I am so honored to be in your presence. Thank you. Um, I am an avid reader, which means if there is something to read, I will read it. But for me to get into something, it not only has to be cerebral, but it has to tug at my heartstrings. And boy, did your book do that for me. And I will tell you when you quoted the lyrics from the Yiddish song, often Pripetrik. Yes, ma'am. I knew this is a book I'm going to love so much that I, I will be sad when it ends. It is fascinating that the first page of your mother's diary is preserved um, at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. And I've mentioned this numerous times, if it happens to come up, that I am a child of Holocaust survivors. And my parents of blessed memory never spoke much about the atrocities or the murdered members of their family families. But I heard snippets, as, as you did from your beloved Mamuch and uh, father, and I too am a product of helicopter parents. Um, it makes sense the protectiveness of their children is widely known amongst Holocaust survivors. Uh, now you see why I'm so in love with your book. <laughs> um, the stories, even the snippets, always remain with you. Uh, so my question is, why now did you decide it's time to tell the story? That why now do you want the world to know about your mother and father leading into and explaining your immigrant identity and the story of your life at this point in time? Well, thank you for that beautiful introduction. And it touches me that we share some of our past. And I just want to say that when my mother died, we were cleaning out books, you know, how that happens in our New Haven house, even though we were going back and forth from Washington. And I found a book that had my mother's name on it, but it was in Czech. So I had to bring it into the Holocaust Museum and ask them to translate it. And there was an older woman who had gone through the Holocaust in and knew Czech as a language, as her yes, language. Yes. And so when I read the book and my mother said, I am writing, you know, my story from Auschwitz, Dachau, all these places, Rachov, her hometown. And I cannot go any further than what I've written. And this was in 1970 when she had written some of it and then asked her children, 
my brother and I, to complete the story. So what can I do? Those of us who share this background, as much as we push it away, as much as I feel light has entered into an earlier story, as much as we know all that, we still remember the past and we pray to never hear anything about that again. Mrs. Lieberman, in your book, you open up, um, you quote Elie Wiesel uh, about it is important that we are all bear witness. And you also quote from your father, it is incumbent upon every Jew to remember the Shoah, for if not we, then who? Um, and, and other quotes throughout the book. Do you fear today uh, with the way things are going, the, the, the polls that show a lack of people knowledge of the Holocaust, uh, Jews who seem to be disconnected from Israel. Um, do you fear for future Jewish generations? I do feel fear, even though I never felt it before. It's this time when I, you know, went through the 2000 campaign the world was totally open to us. There was, there was no anti-Semitism expressed. It was like one little thing in the internet that we dismissed. And so, yes, but it depends on all of us. And that's part of why I wrote this book. We must spread the story of hate that must be diminished And sometimes we look at where we are today and we're not sure. Everyone's writing about how we should proceed to diminish these bad thoughts, this bad teaching to children. (laughs) So I think that we must try harder and believe that it will make a difference and simultaneously be afraid. Yes. Mrs. Lieberman, you immigrated to the United States with your parents in 1949 at about nine months of age, settling in Brooklyn. What does being an immigrant mean to you since all you really know is the United States? So what was it like for you growing up and what language did you primarily uh, speak with your parents? Well, I grew up as an immigrant. My mother cooked the food she was used to. Had me dressed. What was the favorite food? Like, I got to hear this. <laughs> well, I liked, sorry, my cough, Sibilimit I. Oh, I'm, oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I love that. And then there used to be some kind of cabbage soup that my mother concocted. I tried to do variations of that. And a chicken soup that was not full of vegetables, but just a chicken soup. Yes. So there's so many things. And was told, this is what we eat and taught to eat it. But, you know, friends of mine in Gardner, Massachusetts, there are no people from my background. And Yiddish was my first language. Mm-hmm. So there were no people there who knew oh, Yiddish. Got Forget the, it. Got that also in common, Yiddish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it's so funny because the first day I went to kindergarten and the teacher told me she was putting to put my hand up in the air and get something out of a basket because I'd been a good girl for the day. And I picked a little toy. I was so shocked because I didn't know that happened. I hadn't experienced it. And my father 
when he was registering us for our citizenship and also in Gardner, Massachusetts, we sat down and unbeknownst to me, I was originally supposed to have the name Esther. And the Czech authorities after the war said, no, that's a German name. So my father sat there and said, then it's Hadassah. Hadassah is her name. And then when we came to Gardner, Massachusetts, to register citizenship and everything, the Catholic nuns were registering immigrants. And so as we sat there, this nun was looking at the document and it said Hadassah. And my father said, oh, her name is after her grandmother, my mother's mother, and it's Esther. We want to change it back. And the nun looked at my father and said, Rabbi, please keep it Hadassah. That's a beautiful name. So those were the combinations that I experienced in my life as an American in a small town near the New Hampshire border. And you spoke Yiddish at home? Yes, totally. But I came home from school the first day and my mommy asked me in Yiddish, how was it? How did it go? And I said, no more Yiddish, mommy, English, because I had to learn it. I had to be like everyone else. Right. So that was the I still understand Yiddish. My Yiddish pronunciation is not as good anymore. Mrs. Lieberman, here's a question I've been dying to ask you because I've been in politics for a long time. And I know that in life, we all get our moments when we have a major adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. So here you are, married to Senator Joe Lieberman. And I know how it is in the news. There are always the rumors about who's being rumored to be selected as a running mate. And Joe Lieberman is on that list. And I'm sure that there is an adrenaline. I'm getting an adrenaline rush just thinking about this. Mm-hmm. And then... There's the vetting process, and the list becomes even shorter, and you're still on that list. And then finally the call comes, and and I'm wondering, are are you going through sleepless nights? Did Joe ever say to you, honey, I love you with all my heart, but we're going through a vetting process now. Please tell me now, did you ever do anything that we're going to have to worry about? Right, Or just one big rush after another? Oh, it was, no, it was all those questions, concern. And our daughter was going through her bat mitzvah party, and she wanted it in New Haven, Connecticut. So we brought a whole bunch of kids up, her friends in Washington, and met others in New Haven, and had a beautiful time with all the kids. And Joe was the coach. He had his baseball hat on and going through, you know, the airport and all that stuff. And the minute we get off, the plane and come home, he gets a call from someone from Gore's entourage and invites him to be the vice presidential candidate. And I remember he sat on the steps going up to our house in Washington. And I think we sat on the steps and had him sit talking to us and he broke the news that, you know, we're going to see. And he was asked to be the candidate and it's goosebumps. It's goosebumps. It's bigger than goosebumps. Your whole life is given up except we had Shabbat. And that was the deal. We were going to have Shabbat and Al Gore 
was very respectful. And he said, Joe, you know what? Maybe Saturdays I'll take over and Sundays you'll give me a break. So we laughed. We laughed. It was so cute. But we had wonderful, wonderful times on the campaign trail. And I was traveling around. At first I was with Tipper. Then we each had our own planes. And the people who came up to me with their arms raised to show me numbers from Auschwitz and the, the Secret Service couldn't believe it. They said, what's going on? I said, you have to understand, I'm different from most of the spouse candidates who are running for vice president or president. And these are people who relate to me, to my name, to their numbers. So that was an overwhelming experience that I will never forget. And I remember when we were together with campaigners and one of our first Shabbats in La Crosse, and we decided we would have a Shabbat. So the Lubavitch rabbi, a little bit of a distance away, came and served, left his Friday night and Shabbat lunch meal. And it was so amazing. And I looked at him. I said, Rabbi, what can I do to repay you? And he said, the woman who's your advanced person, who happened to be from Florida and happened to be Jewish, I would ask her to light Shabbat candles tonight. So I was so touched with that response. And I asked her, and she did them with such pride. It was a beautiful Chabad moment. Wow. Wow. Beautiful. Mrs. Lieberman, I'm a hopeless romantic. So in light of that, please share with our listening audience, especially me, (laughs) about how you met your husband, Joe, and how you managed to be a working mother, yet successfully blending two beautiful families into one. Well, Joe and I met through my roommate, who, when I was part of Stern College, part of Yeshiva University. She was a roommate. And all of a sudden, I was dating and she just didn't like anyone I was, she thought I was seeing. And then she said, Well, there's a man in our show in New Haven. And she didn't really know him that well. And she said, Why don't I introduce you to him? He's a politician, but he's a good guy. And <laughs> your son looks a little like him. And I'm thinking, why is she giving me all, you know, I don't know. So I said, okay. And we met, I was in New Haven at her house and Joe just came up and met me. And then he said, are you free tonight? It was a Saturday night and, or maybe it was Friday and he was asking for the next night. And I said, okay. And then I asked him, where, where are we going or what? And he said, we're going to a campaign stop. He was running for attorney general. That was your first date. And I said, well, yeah, first date, which was till late. I mean, we couldn't go on our first date till 11, 1130. And so we sat and we talked to each other. And then I went to my girlfriend's house to wait. And he had to leave for his Hartford campaigning, but it was a, 
it was a good time. We didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> Keep coughing. It's okay. And we didn't know what was going to happen, but we started falling in love despite wow. the fact that we have kids. Yeah. Right. And that's a blending. That is an effort. We did it on our terms. We refused to say step anything. His children and my child, we share as one because that's what it has to be. Because you love your child. I wouldn't love him if I couldn't. My son at that point was a little boy. And the first thing he said to me when Joe was dating me is he said, Mommy, he played Monopoly with me. And you know what, Mommy? He did it for me, not for you. And I thought, oh, my goodness. How old was your son at the time? He was seven, I think. He was young, old enough to know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so we had such incredible times, and we knew that we were both on the same track. Our children were our children. Their parent was part of us. We had to be nice. There was never a bad word spoken about either parent ever. And even if there were times you thought of things, they remained. What a role model. What a role model. It was important because, you know, words that you say are listened to by children. And, you know, if we, we say anything anywhere, okay, to our parents and get away with it, but not to a new spouse. Right. So, you know, it's funny because I want to ask you about this. As I read your book, and again, I'm being completely honest with you, I loved your book and I'm going to promote the hell out of it. Um, But during your chapter about uh, the divorce, um, there are times when I smiled, I teared up, I smiled again because I too am formerly married. I don't use the D word. Um, right. But you, uh, you, you wrote at length about it. You know, you didn't just say I got divorced and then I got remarried. You wrote at length about the divorce, about the dating, being a single mom, the blending of the families. And that's a very, very personal matter. And the fact that you wrote about it, I think it serves as such a role model because I know how I am with my, my, my ex and my family and her family. And I have other friends who are different. So if you would right. share with us why you felt it was important to share such a, a personal part of, um, of your life like this. I never thought I would be divorced. That was an alien decision it had nothing to do with my life. So when this all came about, I knew I would not marry anyone who didn't understand me and my love for my child and would also have to understand my love and respect for my parents. Likewise. And I had met a man who was a good guy, sincere. And so it was helpful because bonding children at first is so hard, no matter what you do, you know, you have to keep your mouth shut, but you work so hard at it. And that's okay. That's an admission that's important because we want to show our spouse and they to us that it matters. 
So, you know, my father first told me, because when he heard Joe had two teenagers, he said, you know, that's not easy. Teenagers who are your own aren't easy. Never mind taking on another person's teenagers. But you know what? You do it. You do it. And then you recall that perhaps the bonding experience is the best thing I learned to do in my life. Right. And their contributions in the book, you know, because you have uh, your, your, your son, you have um, Rebecca and um, Matthew. Right. And they also wrote, you know, testimony and tributes to you. And I'm like, I just I fell in love with your family. Just telling you. Uh, thank and you. Bela, I know thank you. This is Lieberman. You are an absolute icon. In addition to your incredible accomplishments, you have also done so much work on behalf of women's health care. And you established several groups, including Sister to Sister and Everyone Has a Heart. Please tell us about your organizations and about your work on women's health care. Well, Komen was one of the organizations that I joined to help and became at Nancy Brinker, who's the former head of Komen. Her sister passed away, therefore the naming. And... Tell, she, us, tell our audience what, for those who don't know a little bit about that. Okay. Nancy Coleman's sister died of cancer and she saw everything, how it was for women who had breast cancer. Yeah. And she was so troubled with the mistakes, the weaknesses that she formed this Coleman organization. And one day I was at a reception in Washington and she asked me, what do you do? How are you doing? And I said, well, you know, I'm thinking about working because I've always worked. But here I was coming to a new city. And she said, why don't you join us? And maybe you can help us with the global efforts of Komen. So I went into the office, met people. And the irony, which I don't talk about, except I talk about it now, is that Komen was amazing and then after I was working with them for a while, I took, you know, little bits and pieces off. There was so much going on, with Joe and Senate and everything. And I said to her, well, let me help you with a Brazil event and then running a race in Jerusalem with everyone behind us in the race, whether they were Bedouins, Palestinians, Israeli Arabs, just everyone. And the mayor of Jerusalem at that point in time, Birkat, looked back and he had never seen anything like this. And I was thinking, our illnesses, what a crazy thing that that's how we come together because we're all looking to help the same problems as each other, forget about politics or lobbying for this or that. So I, I just felt very touched by that. And then there were other things with heart and some of the stuff that you mentioned. And I worked for Pfizer for a bit too. I think about Pfizer now, its name is known for this vaccine. It's incredible. how we become known for different things along the way. And we have to stay strong and brave and honest all the time. As, as you are, as you are Um, an absolute icon and a role model to so many. 
Um, do we have time for another question, Bela? Uh, one quick question. Okay. Okay. So, okay. I'll, I'll answer quick. Okay. You mentioned in the book, and this way, there was a perfect closing when Bill Clinton asked you to represent the U.S. delegation um, to Auschwitz and Poland, and your father had, had asked you to bring back a bag of dirt from the ground. And um, you know, I myself, I read many, many Holocaust books. Uh, my mother was, both my parents were born in France. My mother was rescued by the French underground. My father mm -hmm. was hidden in, in southern France. He vowed to never forgive the French. Um, and I read such passion um, right. from you and, and how much this is a part of you um, and how you, you picked up the dirt and then you couldn't even bring it back because you felt this was sacred ground. Can you speak a little bit to that? And there were pulverized bones. That's what they were telling me, that if you look not even that deeply, you'll find the remnants. So it was, you know, a Kaddish soil. So I wanted to bring my dad's grave at that point. And I decided I don't want to bring this soil. I want to bring a rock. Rock is strong. It stays. It doesn't give up its soil, doesn't take in. So I brought my daddy a rock. And when I put it on the ground, I thought, on the grave, I thought, oh, daddy, let me give you the strength of this rock. And you give me the strength of your goof, your body. Beautiful. Mrs. Lieberman, okay. you are strength. And you are Thank as beautiful inside and out as your name. We are Thank out of time. You. Yes, but, but I want to thank you both very much. I mean this sincerely. You are, it's like the, the music I heard in one of the programs. And it was this beautiful, you know, Yiddish songs, Hebrew songs, music. And I thought, that's the difference. We may come from that dirt, fire, horribleness. We have eased ourselves up, not forgetting, with light. And so I thank you for your light. I thank you for your kindness of sharing with me. Thank, thank you so much. Thank, thank you so you much. And thank you again for joining us on our show and gracing our audience with your presence and your beautiful, heartwarming stories. I encourage everyone to get the book Hadassah, an American story by Hadassah Lieberman. Thank you to our listening audience for tuning in and to vinews.com for being their official podcast. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.